Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. This is Mike Lewis with the Fanalytics Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jay Busby, sports writer for Yahoo Sports. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. So, Jay's been a sports writer since 2008, correct? Yes. And has covered, can I just say everything? Pretty much, yeah. But, but the Olympics, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, uh, NCAA basketball, um, NASCAR, Indy 500. Yes. Am I missing any highlights on that? Uh, let's see. I've covered a couple of cornhole tournaments, a couple okay. of three-legged races, uh, uh, goat rodeos. Well, and, and, and I love it. It's like, and in fact, you know, Jay is the author of a book on um, on the Earnhardt family, correct? Right, that's right. Okay, so so when I when I think, and I should also say that Jay is a friend of the program, with the program being our sports programming here at, at Emory. Jay has, in addition to covering the world of sports, Jay has also served as an executive in residence for the sports analytics class at Emory, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, it's, it's always so much fun to, to come in and prattle on for a bit, get questions that I don't usually get from uh, the, the general sports media world. So it's it's a lot of fun to come over here. Well, that's that's very true. So he gets questions from MBAs rather than sports fans, which, you know, they're probably still sports fans, but maybe a little bit different, uh, a little bit different tenor. Yeah, and I don't generally get death threats coming out of the uh, <laughs> the, the, the classes. You know, no one screams at me loud enough to... Uh, to, to get me that angry. You would get those if we did uh, student evaluations of you. <laughs> that's, that's later on in the, in the semester. Right. right. Well, so so as a, as a starting point, and I'm not sure that this is even going to be a fair question, but in, in some ways, I think of ourselves as being in the same business, but maybe coming at it from different directions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I devote a lot of my time and thinking to understanding fandom. Whereas I, I, I guess, and you know, tell me if you want to characterize it differently. You devote a lot of your time to creating content for fans. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because as we've seen, you know, for example, with NASCAR, the the fan demand for NASCAR content. I hate that word, by the way, content. I just loathe it. But but it is the word that we have to deal with now in terms of not just text, but also video, podcasts, social media, all of that. It's all content, even though it's just a nasty word. But we see that fan demand for that content, for the NFL, it's unstoppable, absolutely unstoppable. You cannot feed enough. For the NBA, as we're taping this, it's right before the NBA draft. Uh, it's going to be, the, the, the demand for that is unstoppable. For NASCAR, it's way, way off. It's way down across the board. For mm. golf, it's down except for when Tiger Woods is involved. So, yeah, from our perspective, we do have to be aware of that. We can't spend all of our time writing a long profile of a NASCAR driver only to see a very small percentage of people read it. <laughs> um, and, you know, just as you're talking about that, there's no profile of Kale Yarbrough coming up. <laughs> Kale might actually work because NASCAR fans, I mean, this is a whole different subject, but NASCAR fans love the past. They revere the past. They worship the past. It's, re- it's a religious enterprise for them. It's the present that they don't connect with, and and so that's that's where NASCAR trouble comes in. Well, and, and and I get that, and we'll we'll seg we'll back around to we'll cycle back to what we're really going to talk about today in a second here. But I, I could definitely imagine that, and you know, like I, I'm going to view everything from a marketing lens. That you know, the shift away from the Winston Cup and kind of the old school NASCAR, you know, it, it makes me wonder that it's like you know, are there moves that are made for the sake of you know next year's 
TV ratings that did long-term damage to the, the sort of the core elements of that sport. Yeah, I think that for some of the sport, that's true. They tried to move out of their southern roots, and that, that damaged a lot of their credibility with a lot of people. But I'm, I'm not entirely sure that was the wrong move because there's only so far you're going to get if you're a regional NASCAR series. I think what's interesting about NASCAR fandom is that when you root for a driver, and this is bringing in the whole concept of fandom, when you root for a driver, it's like you're making that driver a part of your family. It's like a, you know, it's like a brother, it's like a son, it's like a father, or a surrogate father, what have you, you know, surrogate boyfriend, whatever. You, however you're looking at it, that that individual has that kind of role in your life in a way that, that you don't connect with a team that way. So when that driver retires, you don't just go and bring in another little brother, you mm. generally, once you've connected with that driver, it's tough to reconnect with someone else. And I think that's the problem that NASCAR has is that all of their big names have retired. There's nobody that connects with the fans in the same way. Okay. And that that's great. And I think that's, um, I love that point because what I hear in that is sort of this notion of a relationship between a, well, in this case, a driver, uh, more generally a team and a fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And th- the nature of those relationships. So let me, let me ask you this kind of very, and, and again, this might be a question that you don't think about on a regular basis because you're too busy creating content. <laughs> How much time do you spend thinking about, let's say, the, the pure nature of fandom? Like, you know, in, in your head, decomposing the fact that NASCAR fandom is about a relationship with sort of a father figure-ish. Um, and, and so, I mean, I guess it would vary across sports. How much time do you think about the nature of fandom in the NFL or the nature of the fandom in the Kentucky Derby with a horse or whatever the sport is. Yeah, you have to you have to consider it differently in different sports. Um, with with NASCAR, it's a constant question. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute constant question of how does the sport connect with the fans? What's what is NASCAR doing or not doing to connect with the fans? And that's a, that's a constant issue. With the NFL, it tends to be a little bit more issue based. You're not really concerned about how the fans are perceiving it when Aaron Rodgers is having a good game, when Antonio Brown's having a bad game. You don't really worry about that. But then when you get an issue like, say, the anthem protests of a couple of years ago when, when the players were, were kneeling during the national anthem, that was very much an, a fan-involved issue. The fans were very vocal about that. And at that point, you do have to consider what the fans' relationship is to the NFL. But with, I, I guess the best way to say it is the more popular and the more self-sustaining the, 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 the sport, the less mm. fan interaction comes onto my radar so so do you think about it in in those terms of like who the across different sports the the focal point for the fan may differ Mm -hmm. whether it's a team whether it's an individual whether it's the league itself yeah it it absolutely is the fans have different relationships with each of the sports i mean again with nascar when your favorite driver retires you might be done with the sport but in the nfl if your favorite player retires you're not following one player, you're following a team. You're still going to be rooting for that team. You know, I grew up rooting for the Braves as mm-hmm. a kid. They're, they're, they're players that I rooted for are, are five generations gone now, but I'm still pulling for the team. The, the reason why we sat down today was to talk about something specific, and that is a, um, some research I do and some writing coverage of that research that you do, which is focused on the best fans right. in the NFL. And I think that's even that maybe we'll even start with that word, okay? Because <laughs> it's it's a terrible word. The best fans. I mean, what 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 does it mean to be a best fan? That's an excellent question because it's no matter what, somebody's going to be a better fan than you, unless you unless you you 
tattoo your child with the the blue cowboy <laughs> star you know unless you name your kids uh you know Aikman and Emmett there's going to be somebody else out there who's a bigger Cowboys fan than you are but the idea of of a fan I guess the, the question is how much of your individual life do you want to give over to this team mm. and then how much of it is paid back to you with that team either winning or performing the way that you want them to yeah. I mean I, so I, I find myself thinking about a lot of different words and I'm not I'm not happy about any of the words you know I, and and again it's it's kind of interesting you know this the little side note about content you know one of the words that I'm really tired of hearing in the realm of sports business is fan engagement okay <laughs> and and so I will talk about you know in terms of the best fans the the most engaged the most passionate the most loyal fans and <laughs> I don't know what um you know, it's almost like it's just like this strange exercise to pull out the syllabus to make it something sound a little bit different. Right. Um, so is passion, um, passion is getting, uh, you know, like you said, you know, <laughs> again, sorry, too many little asides this morning. But I remember growing up in Chicago when you were saying, you know, Aikman and Emmett, the number of kids that would be da- named Michael and Jordan is the middle name. Right. Now, that was a legitimate thing. <laughs> And so is that, the, that that's kind of this, um, you know, the fanaticism. Yeah, um, well, there's a, there's an entire generation of Peytons that grew up in Tennessee that are just now graduating college. <laughs> so I guess, and so can we agree, maybe as a starting point, that it's something related to, and again, I'm struggling with the words, um, yeah. intensity? Intensity is a good way to put it, because it's more than just turning on the game every so often and and checking out the score. You know, it's more than just, oh, yeah, you know, I might go to a one or two games a year. It's it's having those alerts on your phone. It's checking up on the, the specific doings of the team. It's knowing who the starting lineup is and who the backups to each player in the starting lineup is. You, It's it's having that degree mm-hmm. of knowledge and that degree of, of awareness that you can not just be a passive recipient of knowledge, but you can start to contribute in some way on your own, whether you're knowledgeable or not. You can say, ah, you know what, our pitching staff sucks. Okay. We need to get this, this, and this. Okay. But having that ability to step forward. When you say contribute, because I think this this is this is really interesting stuff from, a, let's say, a theoretical perspective in terms of marketing. Yeah. How you contribute? So who are who are fans contributing to? You know? <laughs> That's the question. Yeah. Uh, they're contributing on social media, obviously, right. okay. and and teams will pay attention to that now. So if we want to restrict it to the NFL, if you are, if you are say a fan of the Falcons and you start venting about the Falcons on social media, if you complain about the stadium experience for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they will pay attention to you. They're starting to pick up on this stuff. They want to have this again that word engagement. They want to have this connection between the fan and the team in a way that you were, were never able to have before. In the before, before you would you'd show up to the, to the game, you'd watch it, you'd head home. Now. You know, may, you maybe buy a T-shirt or something like that. Now you can be a part of it twenty-four-seven. You can have a fan on your social media. You can be connected in, in any number of different ways. Well, and and that's that's interesting, right? So social media has um, allowed fans to have their voices amplified, right? Okay. But on some level, it's just making the fan community more connected or bigger, right? I mean, so back in the day, it was the value of being a an expert fan of the Minnesota Vikings was that you got to impress your friend impress or annoy your friends <laughs> with your knowledge of like I said the minutia of the, right. these things right what i end up doing and and again 
so if we can sort of struggle with the concept of the best fans or some notion of intensity or passion. What I do, the rankings that we're talking about, are related to sort of the economics of it. So fan willingness to spend, fan willingness to, like I say, engage with the social media community. When you write the article, what kind of pushback do you get? And it's always kind of interesting, right? I know the pushback I get, but I'm guessing you get just as, you get more. Well, first of all, they think that I do the research, which I am flattered by, but I have to say, no, 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 this is not my work. I did not, I'm, I'm just merely relaying the information. But that, that, that misconception aside, uh, if we can go ahead and delve into these rankings, I hear it from Chiefs fans every mm-hmm. year, every time out. And, and Kansas City Chiefs, uh, this year they rank number 31 out of 32 teams on your, on your list, and there are some very good and valid reasons for that. But if you want to make an NFL fan mad, you give them a, a power ranking list that doesn't have them any power ranking list, and it could be anything from color of the helmets to winning seasons to whatever it might be. You give them a list of power rankings that does not have their team at number one, and they'll get mad. And you put them at thirty-one. Oh boy. Okay. Well, and and, and let, this is good. So let's start with the bottom of the list. Yep. Okay. So the the bottom five in this year's rankings were the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Rams. Okay. Now, right off the bat, I'll say I, I want to put an asterisk next to the Rams. Yeah. You know, the the data is just kind of strange with um, you know reducing the capacity of stadiums and, and the move, and so that one is that one's a little bit hard to figure out. Yeah. But hundred percent, you know, the Chiefs come at me as well on these yeah. things. Yeah, and it's 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 tough to figure out, but I think this is where you you get into the the question of intensity versus volume. I mean, having a few loud fans. Well, volume's interesting with the Chiefs, right? Yeah. Because yeah. how many times have the Chiefs fan pointed out that they have set the record for the loudest stadium? That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got a they've got a few fans, but they are loud as hell. I think yeah. is, is what it is. But yeah, I mean, it, it, they have a smaller fan base, and I'll be interested to see because they were so successful last year, and mm-hmm. they've got Patrick Mahomes this year. I mean, one of the absolute most dynamic players in the NFL, if not the most. I'll be interested to see how that radiates forward in coming years because he's the kind of guy that people who aren't Chiefs fans could jump on board and say, hey, I want a Mahomes jersey. He's, he's the kind of player that is a literal game changer. And so, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see this going forward as, as to where the Chiefs move up. Well, and that, that's, that's a good point, and, and that is um, that the dynamics of fandom. How long does it actually take to create long-lasting fandom? Now, I mean, earlier in the conversation, you referenced the the notion that when a, a player retires, that fans will just move on to the next player. They'll just move on to the next quarterback. Um, at the top of the list this year, we've got the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Steelers. Oddly, the Patriots listed that high will still get me a little bit of pushback (laughs) and it comes down to this notion that patriots patriots fans are fair weather fans that are only there because of tom brady and bill belichick yeah and that's a valid point except for the fact that brady and belichick have been there for almost 20 years 20 years so you know it's been it's been a long it's been two decades of very Mm -hmm. fair weather for them so what will be interesting is to see what happens after Brady and or Belichick leave, which will happen, you know, eventually. It might be maybe 2050 or something like that, but uh, it doesn't seem like they're ever going to leave, but they are at some point. And it'll be interesting to see how many of these fans stick around at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is this good question. I mean, it, it, it's kind of related to the notion of the Chiefs, right? So my guess, and you, you tell me if you're, you have a different 
view of this is that the Patriots are now established as a marquee brand. Um, they're in a market, Boston, that has a hardcore hometown sports culture. They, you know, it's a lucrative market. They're going to be fine. Yeah. They will be a marquee brand for a long time. I think that, I think that they're going to, they're going to be able to ride these Super Bowl rings for mm-hmm. a long time. And, and I think that they're playing in a division that is not the most competitive. It's probably the least competitive in football. So they may be able to even swap out Brady and Belichick and be reasonably competitive for, for a few years mm-hmm. after that. Well, and, and so then the question becomes, well, the, so the Chiefs are at the bottom. How long do the Chiefs have to have success to actually start to move up? Yeah, that's, that's the question. And I think it, what it is is it's when you break out of your own regional world. I mean, mm-hmm. think about the Golden State Warriors, if we can switch sports here. Nobody cared about Golden State at all. Nobody cared about them six years ago. All of a sudden mm-hmm. they start winning championships, and you see Steph Curry jerseys all over the country. So if Kansas City continues on its trajectory, if they go and manage to win the AFC this year, if, if Patrick Mahomes continues to be the transcendent talent that he is, then you're going to see Chiefs jerseys all over the country. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think that's when it changes for, for Kansas City. Well, and, this, and I, th- that, I, I love that. Because, so there's, there's almost two things going on here. So there's building fandom in the local market, and then there's creating that national presence. And so for the Chiefs to create that national presence... How many Super Bowls do they got to win? Because <laughs> it's more than one. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I, I mean, I think that they got to go back to back, two out of three, something like that. Okay. They've got to, they've got to be a constant presence in the mm-hmm. in the conversation, and that's why you look at you look at, at uh, up there. That's why they, the Cowboys and the Giants, to some extent, are so remarkable because I mean they have they have not been successful. Mm-hmm. Where the Giants have had a couple of Super Bowl wins, but then it's been just vast acres of desert between those well looking at that top five right the cowboys patriots and the steelers at number five what have they won those three teams have won 30 percent of all the super bowls yeah yeah i mean between the between the three of them that's the stuff that sticks around that's Mm -hmm. that's the longevity that 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 holds on so and so to create that national branding now you know the, the the way this data is being cut is being cut in a couple of different ways there's a social media element of this story, which I think really captures that national branding. And that is definitely where the Chiefs really struggle. Yeah. Right. And so I know they fill up Arrowhead Stadium. I know the, the crowd is loud. But have they been able to transcend their region? And the answer, look, looking at the data, seems to be no at this point. Yeah. And that's that's an important point is, to, is how far out of your realm can you get? And, and there's one other component that I'd, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on, which is the idea of hate. Oh. And if you look at the top five teams there, they in, inspire just as much hate as they do love. Hmm. And and then once you get down, I mean, nobody on earth really hates uh, the Texans. Nobody cares about that. Nobody, nobody hates the Texans. Nobody hates the, the Cardinals. But people will devote their lives to going and I'm not kidding about that they will go off on the Cowboys or the Patriots or whoever it might be I think that that a, a, an important component of fandom is being big enough to be hated which in turn inspires more love from your from your most ad, zealous advocates well you know here's a question back back at you is it even possible to be loved without inspiring hate that's true. I mean, is it possible for me to love the Cowboys? And I do not love the Cowboys. <laughs> is it possible for me to do that without hating the Redskins? I feel like we need right? to go get the philosophy department in on well, this one here. We need to, we need to get into these metaphysical <laughs> questions. The, the basic psychology of it. Yeah. It was like the intensity of that emotion. 
and you know, the nature of the, this this business of competition, it's it's like we're we're, we're tribes in this stuff, Jay. Yeah. Well, right. that's what I love is is when you get a team, when you get an individual about whom there are no mild feelings. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a mild feeling about uh, Michael Jordan. Nobody has a mild feeling about LeBron James. Nobody has a mild feeling about the the New England Patriots. There there there's no one who says, eh, you know, I could take them or leave them. Mm-hmm. You you either adore them. Or most likely, you would just rather they just go the hell away. Well, you know, here, here, here's a strange thought related to that. Because as you were going through those points, I was thinking, yeah, 100%. Belichick and Brady are lightning rods. And, and so we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll sort of deviate from being the, the dispassionate analyst for a second here. <laughs> I don't like Tom Brady. Because he came out of Michigan, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's baked in with you, right? I mean, it, it, it's it, it doesn't make there, there's nothing there's, there's nothing rational about that, yeah. right? Um, you know, so Tom Brady, you know, goes to the Patriots, a Michigan guy. I actually kind of like Belichick. I love that. You know, he's he's a, he's pure entertainment. Yeah, you know? yeah. I like him from his his just his Darth Vader aspect of him, mm-hmm. just yeah. that, that he just does not care. I mean, he's a pain in the ass to deal with personally he's a pain in the ass to get any stories out of Mm -hmm. but if you're looking for a guy who is just relentless about his job and relentless about excellence how can you not at least admire him and Mm -hmm. and, you know it's admiring and liking are obviously two different things you know and and let's even come back to the cowboys i mean you made the point that the cowboys have not been relevant or been barely relevant i i gotta tell you that when i think of the cowboys you know part of me kind of goes back to the notion of like well, they're probably pretty good. Yeah. I mean, if I'm not paying attention, it's like, yeah, they're probably they're probably a ten and six team. Right. Right. And your yeah. pre- presumption is just that they they because they've been good so long that they they might be decent enough, and and they are on the cusp of being really potentially good. Yeah. You know, they've had some opportunities, but in terms of a real world excellence right now, they could be really really good this year, but we just don't know. But yeah. it, they, but they they can ride even to this day. They can ride on all of the good graces of all the decades that came before. Well, well, if we go back to the bottom of the list, I mean, so it, it is kind of an interesting thing that almost this perception or perceived quality, like our quality reputation, that they're going to be good teams at the top of the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Giants. And so whether or not it's true, at the bottom of the list, the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Browns, if I just had to, you know, have you hazard a guess if you had been in a coma and you woke up in, in week eight of the NFL season, what would you guess the records would be? Yeah, well, the Browns are going to be a really interesting one because the Browns, between Baker Mayfield and, and Odell Beckham and mm-hmm. all of the acquisitions that they've got, if we can get into the sports talk radio aspect of this, yeah. uh, the Browns could be really, really good. And the Browns are another one of those teams that if they come out and if in week eight they're six and two, mm-hmm. if they're seven and one, which is entirely possible – uh, they, they're they another team that could have a bunch of kids wearing orange and brown Mayfield jerseys, and that could jack them way up. Well, and so two things, right? Probably two things drive fandom or drive brand strength and all this. It's history of winning, and it's history of really highly correlated things, right? And it's a history of stars that kids want to yes. emulate. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you would be hard-pressed if you're not an NFL junkie to name anybody on the Cardinals right now, to name anybody on the Chargers right now. And that's the tricky part of this mm-hmm. is where if you don't have these recogn- – because NFL players, it's not like NBA. They, the NFL players are, are hampered by the fact that there's 21 other guys on the field and by the fact that they've got helmets on and by the fact that only two players 
absolutely touch the ball every play, the center and the quarterback, and that's it. And that's the NFL has is not set up for star making. So if you can have somebody that can break out against all of those constraints and become a star, you've got something special there. Well, and that, that's an interesting point from the league's side of this. I mean, if you're going to create fandom, and and look, I mean, we I think we both agree the NFL, the NFL's the big dog still. Yes, right? yes. I mean, and I'll, I'll I'll even say this, you know. As much as ESPN, I think, wants the NBA to be the big dog, the NFL is the the dominant force. Just compare the ratings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't really like to go necessarily to automatically to ratings as a as a yeah. uh, as a stamp, but but if you as a starting point, if you compare the ratings of preseason NFL games with NBA playoff games, I mean, they beat everything but the finals games, mm-hmm. and these are preseason games when you've got scrubs playing no offense to the gentlemen that are playing yeah. but you know i mean it's it's the nfl you, you make an important point there which is the nfl loves its stars but it loves its stars as long as they are still underneath the shield mm-hmm. and the nfl always wants the nfl to be the star oh well, which and again i mean and this has been going on we're, we're about the same age cohort this has been going on for decades oh, yeah. the idea that the nba was the league of stars going back to dr j followed by Magic and uh, Bird to Michael, of course, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, where, where the NFL doesn't miss a beat, right? Which kind of goes back to your earlier point of when the quarterback retires. Yeah. Usually we just kind of move on. You remember Peyton Manning was the biggest star in the NFL by far. He goes and wins his Super Bowl back in the 2015 season. He's gone, and now he's just he's barely even a ripple. I mean, you're right. The NFL just rolls right on. Right. Now, in the case of Peyton I, I'm just waiting for any moment for them to announce that he's going to star in a sitcom on Fox. Right? <laughs> the Mannings. <laughs> yeah. um, he could do it, though. I mean, he's that rare guy. He's, he's the exception that proves the rule. He's the one guy that has managed to, to break out of the, the NFL's kind of stranglehold on, on image and, and stardom mm-hmm. and, and create a name for himself. Well, and it and it is kind of an interesting thing. And again, it's like this. Um, you know, one of the things that I always think is kind of strange about the NFL is, and maybe this happens less than I realize it, just because it's so noticeable that very often these star quarterbacks want to go play two years someplace irrelevant at the end of their career. Yeah, yeah. And it, I actually think it's kind of you know it's a little bit it's a little bit damaging in a way. I mean, so like for Peyton Manning. Well, well, damaging, I, I guess, more towards the teams than to the the athlete. And you know, when I think of Peyton Manning, I, I honestly kind of go back and forth on what jersey he would wear to be enshrined. Yeah, well, it's because he had that he had that success in Denver, but right. he was fortunate enough to have a team around him that kind of carried him. But mm-hmm. no player goes out on their own terms; they don't. The game yeah. leaves them behind, and it's just a matter of once once their team is done with them. Tom Brady, the Patriots are going to be done with Tom Brady before Tom Brady is done with football. Mm-hmm. And the question then becomes, does he go and sign on somewhere? Does he go sign on with Detroit or something yeah. like that? You know, does he go sign on as a backup somewhere? Does he go sign on with, uh, oh, I don't know, Tampa Bay, who will almost surely be needing a quarterback at that point? I, you know, what does he do? Yeah, no, and that, that's a good point that it is, um, you know, the, the athletic pride uh, tends to bump up against the desire for brand management right. in this league, right? right. Yeah. Right. And Michael Jordan playing in, uh, what is it, Charlotte? <laughs> the Wizards, yeah. The Wiz- Sorry, the right, Wizards, right. yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you sort of something more functional in all this. Do you approach your stories different depending on, and maybe this is some you know subliminal thing even, depending on if, I mean, so imagine it's like the exact same story 
some sort of, you know, athlete coming of age in different markets. If he's a Bengal versus he's a versus if he's a Dallas Cowboy. Absolutely. Yeah. All all other things being equal, absolutely, it'll be more of an interest because there's just our job. We have multiple jobs. You know, our job is obviously to to tell the truth as we best see it. But but our also our job is to appeal to our readers and our readers have that connection with the Cowboys, as I've mentioned earlier, either pro or con, that they don't have with the Bengals. So, yeah, let's just say, let's say, let's say a, a fourth-round receiver manages to impress everybody and makes the team. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a lot bigger story out of Dallas than it would be out of Cincinnati. And so, yes, we would focus a little more on that. Now, if that receiver goes and, and say he's playing, for, he's playing for the Browns and he manages to knock Odell Beckham out of a job, uh, then that becomes a story mm-hmm. because it's a star power thing. But it, there, it, it's kind of a complicated matrix. But, yeah, all of the things being equal, you are going to focus on somebody who's higher on the list than lower team-wise. Well, well and, and I suppose it's um, it's even more difficult for the guys to get the story told about them if they're playing in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, and that's the trick is, I mean, that's why the the NFL is such a national sport that it is, it is trickier for those guys, whereas baseball, just a – deviate back into that baseball is such a hyper local sport that that those guys can get their stories told but nobody cares outside of cincinnati you know you can hear that story about that backup second baseman who made that miraculous journey from high school to the pros but you know who cares outside of cincinnati it's just the way that the sport works well and and let me uh, along those lines like this notion of uh one one of the pieces of feedback (laughs) feedback to be kind that i get on this is that these lists, these power rankings, actually just perpetuate the myth that the teams and the leagues already put out there. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I'm being clear on that. But like, if I look at the top of the list, we've got the Cowboys, Patriots at two, Eagles at three, Giants at four, and then the Steelers. Okay. Now, in Western Pennsylvania, they don't buy that at all. Right. You know? And you know, you take a quick look at that, and you go, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants. NFC East. Yeah, yeah. And so is this league biased towards the NFC East? Well, you know, it's, it's a chicken and the egg question because all you yeah. got to do is look at the, at the uh, schedule, the TV schedule, and take a look at who gets the national games. You mm-hmm. know, NFC East across the board gets those big national games. Every single, every single year you get a whole roster of Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night games, uh, you know, marquee games end up with the NFC East. And so can the Bengals and the Titans, can they overcome this, right? Yeah. That's, you know, the, but Because they're not going to be featured. Right, right. And I think that, that where that comes in is the only way to do that is through winning. You're not going to do it through tradition. The only way to do it is to prove it on the field. And, and I'm looking right now, boy, in your top ten, Maybe the Saints are the only one, but even they have a long-standing connection with the with the. Uh... So the 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 second five on this list: um, Broncos, Bears, 49ers, Saints. I guess that that is the top. The, the Packers, Packers, yeah, Packers, yeah. Are, Packers sorry, are the, the Packers. Pack, sorry, the Packers at number six. Yeah, the Redskins at number eleven, actually. Yeah, that's and that's interesting because if you look at that, all of those teams they all have really deep connections with their with their city that mm-hmm. run much deeper than than i mean if well, i'm looking at this i got to get down to number 12 and number 13 with the colts and the falcons right. before you start to get to teams that have had recent success well you know and, and let's talk about the saints and the 49ers because i think those are interesting ones in, in a lot of ways well what do you think of saints fandom 
Uh, well, as a Falcons fan, I hate them. But... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, realistically, they're they're amazing. They're amazing fans. The fan base there is is outstanding. It's devoted. It, it the Saints did things for that city that no other franchise mm-hmm. has done for its its city. And I'm not talking just in terms of of, of win loss record. I'm talking in terms of charitable efforts okay. and connection. And, and so you know, we're we're not saying the word, but what what was the Saints sort of built around? It well, was. Yeah, it was Katrina. It was Katrina. Yeah, exactly. In 2005, that's where they were. That's where it was. That's where it was. But even before then, yeah. they were the part of a team, of a, of a city. They were bonded with, you know, the Saints mm-hmm. and, and the entire, the whole Saints go marching in uh, ethos there. But yeah, Katrina really, really cauterized it and that made it. Well, but, but what do you remember? I mean, they, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I mean, I, I can't get the image. What, what's the image of... For someone in our age range, yeah. what's the image of a Saints fan from the 70s and 80s? Oh, yeah, just with the bags over there. The, exactly. the, the yeah, Aints the with Aints. the bags over exactly. there. Exactly, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and that's the thing is they the Saints were terrible, and the mm-hmm. only thing that they would get up for was their games against the Falcons. I did a story about this last year, and it was just hysterical hearing these old stories because both of these teams sucked so bad, and they mm-hmm. were both 2-14 and 14 every year. But if they won the game against the rival – it was a successful season. I don't know if I ever told you that. I probably told you the story. In the early years of these rankings, there was, um, and this was before the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the, uh, the, the Falcons finished, let's say, 28th, 28th, 29th, and the Saints finished 7th or 8th. And we saw a headline on the, was the, the Times Picayune, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> that actually, on, the, on the sports page, that listed not only the the Saints ranking, but in you know in the lowercase, but still in the headline, whatever yeah. you would call that, you know, noted how far ahead of the Falcons oh, yeah. they were. Right? Absolutely, right? I, I, it is it is so petty. It's the greatest thing. <laughs> it is the pettiest relationship and I, pettiest rivalry. I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. But yeah, I mean that's true. And and when we put out this uh, report here, I'm sure that Saints fans will delight in the fact that oh, they are. Uh, I think they'll be upset. Five right. Or six. Well. The, well They'll, they'll be upset at of being 10th, yeah. but they'll be happy to be ahead of the exactly. Falcons, right? Yeah, as, long as, as long as they're ahead of the Falcons, they'll be like, yeah, screw them. Well, it's one of the things that's interesting about that this list is there's I get very little positive back <laughs> in terms of recognizing the the greatness of fans in Philadelphia or wherever. Um, and it's amazing how upset people get, even if they're ranked in the top 10 in the league. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, this you know that goes back to the whole idea of... of Unless you're number one, you have a problem right. with the rankings. And the number one team, the Cowboys, are like, well, of course we're number one. That's like saying that the, the sky is blue. Well, and, and, I, and I want to forget about the 49ers because yeah. you know, the, the Cowboys, I will get pushback from other fans saying Cowboy fans are just, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like Cowboy fans are just like essentially like brunch date fans. You know, they show up late. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really. They they just they just want to go out there to be seen to take selfies in their cowboy jerseys, and they just don't care. <laughs> What's interesting about San Francisco is the way that the change in stadium, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that we've fully uh, realized that yet, or, or or accommodated for accounted for that, because they moved the stadium 45 minutes south, mm-hmm. and the stadium now it's a beautiful stadium, but it's in the middle of Santa Clara, it's in the middle of nowhere, and Candlestick. That ugly ass old park. That thing. It was out on a little a little spit right there in the bay, and it was cold and it was nasty. And you had to be a hard, hard, hardcore mm-hmm. fan. And you went through that. 
and and you live through that, and you you were bonded with the team in a way that you're not right now with uh, with a beautiful new Levi's Stadium. Well, in in the 49ers, Forty Niners have not been good in recent years, right? right? Yeah, I mean, and that that also hurts, right? And but but it, so so a couple of things. So number one, the value of legacy, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. That still resonates. Absolutely, those guys they they show up still. They, uh, it, with the Redskins games, you'll see John Riggins. Mm-hmm. They'll bring Joe Theismann out, and, and they just trot those guys out and. Yeah. Every single time, standing ovations. Now, one of the things that I think, you know, and I'll, I'll criticize my methodology and this sort of in terms of some of the stuff I think is going on. One of the things I think, if there is a bit of bias in these results, it's that there seems to be um, too much appeal to, or maybe the, the, the really affluent markets mm-hmm. score maybe a little too high. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and so when you mentioned the... Uh, the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors, is kind of being a nothing thing, yeah. right? That San Francisco area has become the second wealthiest, per- perhaps the second wealthiest um, metro area in America. And so it's kind of interesting that now the Giants in baseball and the uh, the 49ers and the Warriors have all basically kind of moved along that path to become kind of marquee brands in their leagues as right. well. Right, yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they hold up once the the allure and the newness wears off. I mean, the Warriors, they, they might be done. I mean, they might mm-hmm. not, but they might be done. And they're moving into a new arena. How's that going to work out mm-hmm. when they if they're not winning all the time? Is it going to be the place to be seen all the time? And, and I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I think the question becomes is like, and again, we're getting a little beyond the NFL here, but it's, it's related, you know. Do some cities have these sports cultures? Right. Sort of as another piece of background on all this. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's a key element there is how big, how deep does the sports culture run? We're recording this in Atlanta, and the Falcons have done a great job. The Hawks, too. Uh, actually, all three of the teams have done a pretty good job of building a culture in the last 10 years. But yeah. it still doesn't compare at all to the college football culture that's here. That, mm-hmm. That's that's generational. That's right. bone deep. And that's the kind of culture that exists in a place like Dallas, that exists in a place like Philadelphia with the pro team in a way that it doesn't here. A hundred percent, right? I mean, you know, looking at number eight on that list, the Chicago Bears. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, exactly. You know, I referenced sort of a hatred of Tom Brady, and it's because I went to the University of Illinois. And the University of Illinois is a – it's a non-factor in the Chicago media market, um, and so it's a, it's sort of the opposite case mm-hmm. of the uh, you know the University of Georgia down here. In right, right. Yeah, I, I have uh, friends that have worked for the uh, AJC, the Atlanta Journal Constitution mm-hmm. newspaper, and they will they said that people would write in measuring the literal column inches that Georgia had versus Georgia Tech in a given week, and if it was if it was off, they would throw a fit. Okay, well, so let's say let's say this. We talked a little bit about love. Love and hate being related. Can you, you know, looking at these rankings and thinking about fandom in general, can you have two loves in one sport? <laughs> you can, but I, I think no, if can you? If you're, if well, I mean, you, you, you theoretically could, <laughs> but you know, if you if you start to get into that uh, that polygamy there, yeah. I mean, that's you know, that is kind of garbage, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody takes any fans seriously if they're if they're first of all, you know, if you're going across sports, that's one thing. You know, if you've yeah. got if you've got a Cowboys jersey and a Warriors hat, everyone's like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> but if you if you have 
uh, you know, two different NFL teams. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, just beat it, man. Pick yeah. one, pick a lane, one you, or the other. You have none, right? Right, right. Kind of thing. Well, I mean, so, so I'm looking at this list, and this is honestly something I haven't thought about. So in terms of the Cowboys, well, there's, there's, no, um, there's no college competitor there, right? Right. There's, there's no crosstown team. Um, right. You know, the, the Giants at number four, again, you know, college sports, college football, not particularly strong in the Northeast, as the Big Ten learned with Rutgers. <laughs> and then you go all the way down the list to the Jets at 20, right? Yeah, there's. I mean, there. It, the question, I guess, is whether you are generali- generationally aligned mm-hmm. with college or pro. And and some teams, you know, if you, if you look like Alabama, there's no obviously no pro sports teams in Alabama. Mm-hmm. The, the closest ones are Atlanta and 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 maybe down in Florida, depending on where you are. So yeah, it's it's you get aligned with whatever it is that's in your regional area. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you'll have a lot of Alabama fans who are from Alabama, but then they might also be Dallas Cowboy fans, yeah. or they might also be, uh, you know, Lakers fans or whatever, just because they don't have that opportunity. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if it's around you, if it's if you've got a packed metropolitan area like New York, you know, there's no college football But you know what? There. I bet you. I bet you if you look at it. And, you know, as long as you're in one sport. And, you know, look, I, I – you know, I make two points here. Like, I bet you in Boston, there's a lot of kids that got a lot of Red Sox stuff. Yeah. Actually, a lot of grown-ups that got a Red Sox stuff. They got Patriots stuff. They got Bruins stuff. And they just Celtics stuff, and they just cycle in and out. Right, right. But if you're talking about, let's say, an Alabama kid uh, and, and, and or a Georgia kid, a kid in Atlanta, I bet you it's either 80% Falcons and 20% Bulldogs or the reverse. Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah they're they're connected in a way that uh you you don't see in other places mm-hmm. you know if you've got that if you've got that kind of ability and that kind of, of possibility for you let me ask you a couple more and now i'm just going to get you with some stuff that might be a little bit weird okay <laughs> well so i mean so to, to frame some of this we're talking about you know the psychology of fandom and the psychology you know belonging to tribal tribes different tribes that compete against each other we're talking about the psychology of love and how that might mirror hate um the notion of how much you can sort of devote yourself to one thing versus shared passions or fandom so a lot of good psychology of fandom what about the silly stuff like the notion of things like weather I mean, I look at this list, and in some ways, I look at, um, I see near the bottom, the Rams, the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? The, uh, the L.A. Chargers, uh, the Florida teams are almost all in the bottom half of the league. You know, is there something that... Is there, if they have other options, are you yeah, saying? Yeah, I mean, it, is, the, is there a ceiling if you're running a team in... Tampa Bay versus if you're running one in Chicago, well, that's, or is it the history? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's I think it's a little of both. I mean, Tam- Florida is a strange market because Florida has so many people who are, are who are uh, immigrating to Florida mm-hmm. uh, that so many people coming in from out of, of town. Well, Atlanta does too, right? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And yeah, it's a good point that so many people are coming from out of town that have preset loyalties. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you grow up in a place, that's one thing. But if you if you if your job takes you to another place, if you retire to another place, I mean, if I leave Atlanta and and I move somewhere else, I'm not going to stop rooting for the Falcons. You know, I might go for whatever team I'm close to, but but my loyalty would be will be with the Falcons. But yeah, the the idea of weather is an interesting one. The idea of opportunity, you know, yeah. if there's if there's more to do, and and you don't want to get too. Uh, provincial here and say, oh, there's not a whole lot to do in Green Bay other than the Packers game. But, you know, compared to 
compared to some of these other towns, there's not as much to do. It's a good point, though, and and I think actually a really strong point in what you're saying there, that the demographics may be highly correlated. Demographic changes in terms of people moving in might be highly correlated with weather. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, this the escape from the cold northeast or the Rust Belt yeah. actually then inflicts places like Atlanta <laughs> and, you know, Jacksonville with with fans that already have a team. Nobody's moving to Pittsburgh to retire. I mean, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh, but nobody's moving there to retire. No, but people are moving out of Pittsburgh seemingly on a quest to find Steelers bars <laughs> and all sorts of. <laughs> Which, you know, credit to the Steelers. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Isn't it? I, I have never been in a town that didn't have a Steelers bar somewhere. So, right. you know, credit credit to them. No, you know, and, and, and I think we sort of can, can wrap this up in a second. But, you know, let's, let's come back to Atlanta just for a bit. I've been here 10 years. And I feel like things have changed. I do, too. Yeah. You know, I, I remember, I want to say it was like 2014, 2015, something in that range, uh, where the Steelers played the Falcons in, in the, the stadium, the Georgia Dome at that time, mm-hmm. was golden black. Right. Right. I don't think that happens anymore. There, I used to do stories like that when Dallas came to town, when Pittsburgh came to town, and, and you could count on that. Uh, I was here for the... What was it? The uh, 1999 World Series, and I was here for Game One, and the Yankees beat the Braves in Game One, and we're leaving the stadium, and everybody's got their heads slumped down. There's a couple of Yankees fans just cheering, and rather than any of the Atlanta fans just beating the hell out of them, which would have happened in any other mm-hmm. northern municipality, everyone just kind of accepted it. Now, I don't think that happens. I don't think that that those fans that are taunting Atlanta fans get out alive. Yeah. What do you think happened? I mean. Uh, I think that, that Atlanta started winning. Atlanta started okay. making it cool to uh, – started making their – you had an influx of ownership, particularly with the Falcons uh, and with the Hawks, that had a little bit more forward thinking mm. to them, that had the ability to do more than just assume that people were going to show up just because it was an Atlanta product. I mean, there are so many years that they would just run the product out on the field and, and expect people to show up. But Atlanta, there was a cool factor associated to it, yeah. and, and I think that's, that's certainly helped with Atlanta. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna push you on that if if I may. Please do. A cool factor. Yeah. How does a team create a cool factor? When you want to be there, when you when you have a team. Now, speaking specifically just of of uh, him in terms of a quarterback, and not mm-hmm. on his off field exploits, but Michael Vick changed the face of the Atlanta Falcons mm-hmm. franchise. Uh, you know, again. Not to talk about what happened afterward, what he was doing in his off days, but he uh, was know, a, Atlanta was kind of has been cursed in some ways yeah. with that stuff, right? I mean, yeah. but uh, Deion Sanders, Michael mm-hmm. Vick, these were guys that that you had to see what they were going to do next, and and I think Vick really kickstarted Atlanta from that standpoint because you you never knew Atlanta always had these kind of. decent but unspectacular players guys like dominique wilkins dale murphy they were always pretty good but you didn't change your your day around to see what they were going to do vic on the other hand yeah you every snap you had to see what he was going to do now maybe it's the marketing guy in me but i almost think that atlanta and i i would have doubted that this was possible and you you react tell me if i'm full of it on this one (laughs) is that atlanta as a city has made a major move in terms of being a cool destination Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it, you know, urban development in terms of, you know, attracting every young person in the entire Southeast region to want to get a job here after college, you know, the, the film industry, the new venues, the, you know, attracting the Super Bowl, the national championship game, and well, we have the financial, the final four coming up and then the all-star game. Right, right. That 
I mean, and again, I'm I'm not sure, but I mean, I feel like something. It's just feel like something's happening in the city, and I wonder how much of that is due to that kind of like they're constructing this culture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is it is it will it last? I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's the question. I mean, the uh, the Atlanta United coming off a championship. That I was at that that championship game. I have never seen anything like that yeah. in Atlanta, short of of the national championship games when you had. 70,000 people cheering for a freaking soccer game. I would never have guessed that would happen, but it did. And, <laughs> and uh, it was impressive to see. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, this has been great, Jay. I can't thank you enough. Oh, always. Um, for, for everyone out there, you can follow Jay on, uh, what, what's your prime social media? It's Twitter? Yeah, tw- Twitter, Facebook, and, and Instagram. All of them are all at so Jay Busby. Uh, in terms of following you on Yahoo, what's the best place to look for you there? Probably the app is the best way to go through the Yahoo Sports app. I okay. show up on that, but uh, uh, the the social media ways are the the, you know, the Yahoo Sports page, like any sports page now. It's uh, yeah, tweet terrible things to at yeah. Jay Busby that's on, on Twitter, it. right? That's and how you get to me. You want to get me attention? <laughs> catch my attention that way. And I will say this, you know, and for anyone out there listening, that you know thinking about coming back to school you can also visit jay in the classroom once or twice a year (laughs) that's right that's right okay happy to show up okay thanks a lot jay thank you